We are currently in the uh, third week of a series that we've been in here um, called Parables, where we've been going through and, and looking at several of, of the, the different parables um, in the Bible that, that Jesus taught. These parables, they were um, fictional stories that, that Jesus used, um, where he used human characters to, to teach people um, certain things. He would use these, these parables, these stories, to, to teach uh, his disciples from time to time. He would use them to teach um, crowds, as crowds would gather to learn from him, and he would even use uh, parables to teach those who were against him. Um, when, when you know, the, the teachers of the law and religious figures were trying to um, catch him in his words. And, and these parables, uh, they were just, they were stories. They were, they were stories that, that, uh, that taught lessons to the listener. Um, they were about more than, than what they seemed on the surface. They weren't just about uh, the characters or, or the plot, but they were um, they were used to communicate deeper, deeper truths about, about God and, and about the world and how to, to live in the world. And uh, throughout the Gospels, which are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the, the books that document um, Jesus' life. Throughout those books, uh, we see dozens and dozens of, of parables of these different stories um, that Jesus teaches. So we've been going through those. Um, a few weeks ago, Wendy spoke, and she taught us uh, about the parable of the sower. And then um, last week, Larry spoke. He taught uh, us the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, each of those messages were, um, they were awesome. I, I highly recommend uh, that you listen to them. If you weren't here, you can go to the website, everydaycc.com, to listen to them. Um, and one of the themes that both Larry and Wendy talked about uh, in their messages, and, and a theme throughout this series is imagination. So in Jesus' uh, parables, as he's uh, creating these fictional worlds, he's doing so um, to help people to uh, imagine uh, a different world, imagine what the world um, could be like. He would use stories to, to, to help people to think outside the box, uh, to think about how things could be rather than how they, they are, and how things could be if people would live according to, to God's will. And Jesus, uh, well, if you look at the Bible as a whole, if you start at the very beginning in the Old Testament, um, you see that Jesus isn't the first character uh, that God uses um, to, to use this idea of imagination, to challenge or, or to convict people. Um, starting, you know, in the Old Testament, there's, there's biblical authors and there's, there's characters uh, who God used throughout uh, history um, to, to use imagination, to imagine uh, new realities. So one of the first examples of this was Moses. Um, at a time when, when the Israelite people were enslaved uh, in Egypt uh, and had no hope of, of being freed and had sort of just accepted their a position in society, God, you know, he raised up Moses and used Moses to help the Israelite people begin to imagine a new reality, to begin to imagine a, a different future um, where they would no longer be enslaved. And then uh, as you continue throughout uh, Israel, Israel's history, as you read, um, you know, the narrative of Israel's history in the Old Testament, you see um, different time periods. There's times where uh, they were living in exile, or, or there were times where they even started to stray away from God and from God's will and, and, and inflict oppression uh, on other people groups around 
uh, the world. And when those times would happen, uh, oftentimes what God did is he raised up uh, people that were called prophets. And, and prophets, um, they were people who would speak on behalf of God. They would speak, uh, they would speak God's will and communicate God's will um, to God's people. And these prophets, they were normally uh, poets, actually. Um, if you read the book of Jeremiah or the book of Isaiah, those are actually uh, books of poetry that these, these prophets wrote. And, and God would use these prophets to communicate um, through their words to challenge, uh, to challenge the Israelite people to live differently, to, to find some sort of hope for a new future during those times when they were, um, when they were suffering or when they were uh, living in exile or, or living in oppression. And he would use um, those prophets even to, to help wake them up to the ways they were living when they would begin um, to stray away from God's will. And, and I, I mentioned uh, the prophets, and I also I want to mention uh, specifically that they're poets because I want you to see the importance of art and creativity um, in the Bible. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's something that has always been important and you know, continues to even relate um, to our current times. And I would say, I believe that, that what happens is people, uh, as they grow up in a society, they, they get so accustomed to the way things are and its current um, organizational structure or its current, uh, the way that, that, that power or, or systems are, are organized. And, and when that happens, when you grow up within a society and a system and a, and a structure being organized uh, in a certain way, it can be next to impossible uh, to imagine it being organized and structured in any other way. And that is what was happening. That is, is, is the seasons that the Israelite people would go through. And that is where God raised up these prophets and used them and used their poetry, used their art to provoke the imagination of the people, to help them to, to, to see things for, for what they really were and also to help them to imagine a, a different future where uh, the structures and systems and, and, and the way things were happening could be done differently. Art is very important. It was important then and it's important now because what it, art takes us uh, you know, outside of our current way of thinking. It takes us outside um, of the perspective that we have and, and it forces us or allows us to use our imagine to see things differently from a different perspective. And God has used art uh, and continues to, I believe, all the way up until now to, to help to reveal truth to us and to reveal what his will is for us. So, um, you know, a type of art that I am very, you know, interested in is movies. I don't know or how many of you are movie people here. I mean, everybody, I guess, watches movies. Uh, you know, some people are more into it than others. But, um, but yeah, I'm a big movie fan, and, and, I, and I enjoy movies because uh, they take you into a different place. They take you um, to a different world. And, and when, you know, when they're done well, when there's good acting and, and good writing and, and a good plot, you know, you can get completely um, wrapped up in the story. You can get brought into a, a, another world that takes you outside um, of the current world that you're in. And, um, you know, movies are, are there to entertain us and, and to, you know, obviously to make money. Um, you know, but the, the type of movies that, that I really enjoy the most are the ones that um, are a little bit deeper than that, that aren't just there to, to entertain, but also provide some type of um, social commentary 
uh, about the world or, or that challenge you and challenge um, the audience, the people who are watching the movies to, to think a little differently or to think more deeply uh, about certain things. So uh, one of my favorite movies um, of all time is a movie called No Country for Old Men. Have any of you seen, many of you seen that movie before? Um, so I don't want to like give away too much of the movie if you haven't seen it. Uh, I recommend that, that you do see it if you haven't. Um, but it, it's a movie that, you know, on the surface, uh, it's, a, it's kind of about this, uh, this drug deal that, that goes wrong, and there's this massive amount of money that goes missing. Um, and as these, these uh, sheriffs down in Texas are trying to, to, to recover this money and follow this money, there's this string of murders that keeps happening everywhere that this money goes. And, and there's this murderer who's going around and is following this money, and the sheriffs are chasing him and the money. And it's just this kind of uh, crazy sort of pretty violent and kind of dark drama. Um, but it, it, so if you're not into that, don't watch it. But if, you, <laughs> but if you are, it's like a thriller with action and with all this. Um, I'm, I'm into dark movies. I don't know why. I just am. But uh, I think they, I don't know, reveal stuff to us. But anyway, um, so on the, on the surface, you know, it can just seem like that's, a, that's a, some type of thriller. That's some type of, um, you know, murder mystery type of almost western style movie um, and it is but the, the thing that I like most about that movie is, is that it challenges you it challenges the audience to, to think a little more deeply uh, about um, their actions in the world it's it's a movie you know about those other things but it's also uh, in my opinion it introduces you to this tension between free will between the, the choices that that humans make um, and, and the impact that those choices have on the world and on other people, the tension between that and, and fate, between what just happens because it happens. And it, it, it puts you in that tension and, and forces you to kind of wrestle through things and, and think even more deeply about how you interact in the world. It, it, it gets you so lost in the story that you don't even realize subconsciously the way uh, that the writers are um, are, are bringing you into that place, are, are forcing you to, to think and to evaluate um, and to consider different perspectives uh, about the world. And that is what uh, movies do from time to time. That is what um, art does, what, what music can do. Obviously, you know, we were here singing this morning. Music can, can take you to a different place. Poetry does it. And stories, that they have a way, you know, of helping us to think outside of the box. And that is what Jesus does in his parables. Uh, these stories that, that Jesus tells um, throughout his ministry, throughout his life, they're not just about uh, the characters. They're not just about the plot. They're not a story for uh, just a story's sake, but they're there to, to challenge you. They're there to challenge um, his audience and to challenge us uh, and, and force us to sort of be confronted with deeper truths about God and deeper truths about the world. They're there to help us to... to, to imagine, to use our imagination to think about a society that could be organized differently than the one that we know, than what we have grown so accustomed to. And the parable um, that we're looking at today, it's called the parable of the rich fool. Um, it's a very nice name for a parable. And this parable is found in Luke chapter 12. So I passed out some papers that has the parable on it. Um, but we're actually, I'm kind of going to go through the whole chapter um, so you can see a little bit of, of Jesus' teaching leading up to this parable um, and then a little bit afterwards. So 
Um, I'm kind of going to be jumping around. If you want to follow along more, you can, you can bring up Luke chapter 12 on your phone if you want to follow through the whole thing um, to see all the different scriptures that I'm going to be using. But all of it is in, in Luke chapter 12. So you can follow along now or you can just see the parable on there or however you want to do it. We're kind of low on slides today. Um, if, if you don't know, some of our people are out of town, but we're making it work. Um, so the parable of the rich fool. So Luke chapter 12. Um, just to, to give you a little bit of background, uh, this, this story, it takes place in the region of Judea. Uh, Jesus had entered this um, area, and, and he was doing ministry there. And right before, um, right before uh, this, this parable is told, um, Jesus is, is uh, well, he just got finished having a debate um, with some of these Pharisees and, and scribes who were like, they were the teachers of the law. They were uh, the religious uh, elite folks of, of, of that society, um, and they weren't big fans of Jesus, and, and Jesus just got done having, having uh, a debate with them, and, and he was, you know, to, to them, he was a, sort of a threatening um, figure. He was threatening to, to their influence and to the power that, that they held uh, over society, and they were really starting to um, oppose him and, and, and to think of a way to trap him in his words, and so, um, you know, in this debate, he, like, just kind of destroyed them in the debate, um, and, and, you know, this would have been a public thing that happened, so there were people from Judea that were there that witnessed um, Jesus' teaching and, and, and debating the Pharisees, and so word started to get out um, around the region that this man, uh, Jesus, this great teacher, this great rabbi, was in town and, and was doing some teaching, um, and the people, the general population, didn't feel the same way um, that the teachers of the law felt. They were excited by, by this Jesus. They, they thought that his teaching was, was great, and, and they, they were craving to, to hear and to learn and to, to be encouraged and challenged. Um, so the, most of the people didn't feel anything uh, about Jesus like the way that um, the Pharisees did. And so the, the word's getting around, and, and, and people are, are starting to flock um, to where Jesus is to come uh, hear him teach. So uh, we don't know exactly where it is, but he's somewhere in, in public, um, and he's teaching his disciples. So it's Jesus and the 12 disciples, and, and as he's there teaching them, uh, Luke tells us that many thousands of people started to, to gather and to come out to witness Jesus live, to see him in person. Um, and, and it says that there was people were, were trying so hard to get up close to Jesus that they even started to uh, to trample over one another, and we had got like a, a kind of a dangerous crowd control situation going on. Um, so there's thousands of people crowding in, climbing on top of each other, knocking each other around, trying to get close to hear Jesus, uh, just hear a little bit of his teaching as he's speaking to his disciples. So that's the setting. And, and as, um, as all of that is going on, and as Jesus is, is teaching, uh, there's a lot going on uh, there's a lot that he's aware of that no one else is aware of. He knows uh, things that his disciples uh, don't know yet. He knows that in just a few months from this, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who are the other religious leaders, they're going to combine forces, and they're going to develop a plot to kill Jesus. They're going to come up uh, with a way to, to catch him and, and to crucify him. And Jesus knows that, that he's going to face that. He knows that he's going uh, to face death. And he knows uh, that once that happens, that same uh, process is going to happen for his disciples. 
He knows that his disciples and those who follow him, they're also going to, to face a, a difficult time of persecution, and, and they're going to face even death. And with those things in mind, Jesus is there teaching his disciples with all these crowds uh, surrounding them, trying uh, to hear what he's saying. He's, he's teaching his disciples not to fear death. He's teaching his disciples not to fear the authorities who have the power to take away their earthly bodies, but to fear God. Fear the one who has the power to send their soul to an eternity in hell. He challenges his disciples and encourages his disciples to, to keep their faith. No matter what they go through, he, he reminds them that they're loved by God, that they're cared for by God, and that they should not turn away from him no matter what happens. He's, he's there warning them. He's letting them know, and then he gets specific, that a time is going to come for them where they're going to be brought into the courts, where they're going to have to stand trial. And he tells them, during those times, do not give up. Don't turn away from me. Don't, don't blaspheme. Don't turn away from your faith, but, but stand strong. He lets them know that, that when those times come, when they have to stand trial and defend themselves, that the Holy Spirit is going to come, is going to be there with them, is going to guide them, is going to give them the comfort that they need and the courage that they need to find uh, the strength in the words to defend themselves and to not turn away from their faith. That is the, the teaching that Jesus is giving to his disciples as these crowds are there listening. These are some very heavy teachings, right? Some very uh, deep teachings. He's telling his disciples to have faith in the face of any violence and any death uh, that, you're, that you may encounter and to fear God more than you fear man, even, though, even the man, even those who have the power uh, to take away their life. And, and, and like I said, this isn't a hypothetical teaching for Jesus. While the, the disciples and, and those who are listening close by, while they don't fully know uh, what's going to happen, Jesus knows. Jesus knows uh, the, the trials that are coming his way, and he knows the trials that his followers are going uh, to face very shortly. And the main point of, of his teaching in that first section uh, of Luke is to live not for this life, not to live, to live not for the kingdom of this world, which would say to protect myself and my own body and my own person at all costs, but to live differently. To live uh, and to seek to live according to the kingdom of God. To live for God over yourself. That's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Live for God over yourself. So, in the midst of this you know, heart-to-heart, heart, this deep, uh, heavy teaching that surely was weighing uh, on Jesus. As he's trying to prepare, you know, his, his closest friends and followers for this difficult time ahead. Uh, in the midst of, of that, there's a person in the crowd who speaks out. And I think the, the scripture is now on the paper for you. Um, Luke 12, 13, it tells us, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> Jimmy's laughing. <laughs> so this may sound strange. It may sound funny. Um, it was funny to Jimmy. Uh, when I read it, after I read it a few times, it, it, it got, it was kind of awkward to me. Um, but as I studied, I learned that, you know, Jesus, he was a teacher. 
Um, he was a rabbi, and this wasn't an abnormal request uh, necessarily for, for this man to make because the rabbis were, uh, uh, they often were the people who helped to settle um, these type of, of civil disputes um, in Jewish culture. And, you know, with this great crowd uh, before him and, and with the reputation um, that Jesus had built up, he would have had the credibility uh, to settle this dispute right there. Uh, but but um, what I find odd uh, isn't necessarily the request that the man makes, but it's kind of um, the timing of it. You know, right after Jesus is giving this, this profound teaching about overcoming uh, the fear of death, uh, about overcoming the desire to, to protect yourself, um, uh, about living more for God than for yourself, this man makes a request that's all about himself. That's, that's really about himself and, and his potential riches that he has to gain from this inheritance. And it, it kind of makes me wonder if he was even listening. Was he even listening to Jesus? Was he even there, uh, was he even there at this place to hear Jesus teach in the first place? Was that his reason for going there? Um, my speculation is that he knew there was a great teacher in town, and he felt that this teacher would be able to help him solve uh, this situation and help him to get what, what he felt was his. Um, I'm not exactly sure what was going through his mind, but that's my speculation. So Jesus responds to him in, in verses 14 and 15 and says, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Kind of a, a heavy rebuke, right? So even though Jesus had the, the credibility to help solve this dispute over uh, this inheritance between this man and, and his brother, Jesus uh, decides not to. Jesus recognizes that even if this man is, is in the right or uh, feels that, that he's in the right, um, the motivation behind his request is sinful. And, and the sin that he's being motiv motivated by um, and that Jesus identifies is greed. It's this man's greed that, that drove him to come uh, and, and to make this request of Jesus. And, and, and Jesus names that in front of all these people and uses this man as an example of how not to live. I find that to be pretty extreme, um, but that is what happened. Um, you know, but at the same time, I, the man kind of did walk right into it, in my opinion. Um, you know, Jesus is teaching about not being concerned with, with the things of this world, about putting God before yourself, um, about, you know, even overcoming uh, this, this, this desire to... Uh, to Make sure that you live and be willing to give your life away um, if that's what God calls you to. And, and in the midst of that, this man, you know, he, he makes the request for uh, about this inheritance. Um, and, and Jesus kind of makes the connection and, and lets the, the disciples and the people who are listening know it says he tells them, you know, once this man made the request, he tells all the people that were there that, that this man's concern is in the same vein of what he's talking about. That, that this man's concern is about the material. It's about the here and now. But the kingdom of God is about so much more than that. The kingdom of God is about more than money or possessions. So that is the background. That is what was happening. That is the setting 
Um, that is the crowd that's there, that's listening. Uh, and, and that is what has just taken place uh, before our parable starts. Um, so after all this happens, uh, Jesus finally uses a, a story. He tells a, a parable to help um, illustrate his teaching and also to respond um, to this person's greed. The story starts in, in verse 16. It's, Jesus said, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. So there's a very rich man. A rich man who owns his own land and, and farms much of this land and uh, probably had... Um, paid workers who, who worked the land for him, who oftentimes uh, were taken advantage of and, and weren't paid uh, fairly. And after one season of, of growing his crops, things go so well, and the harvest is, is so much uh, greater than what the barns he has built uh, can even store. And, and, and in this society, this excess of food uh, that he now has, that was capital. That was uh, his capital. That was their capital. And he suddenly ends up with this great abundance of resources. And, and what the man decides to do is destroy his barns. He has his barns uh, torn down and he builds much bigger barns so he can store all of this excess grain uh, that he now has. And, and this man, this landowner, he knows that once he does this, he's going to have financial security now for many years to come, and he's not going to have to work. He can just lay back and, and enjoy the good life, enjoy a life of luxury, enjoy a, a life of ease. But as he's planning out this whole, uh, this whole thing, as he's planning out this whole future, God calls him a fool and lets him know that this very night as he's making these plans, he's going to die, and he won't even be able to enjoy this life of luxury that he's planned for himself. Let's him know that, that the way uh, that he was living his life was not for God, but it was only for himself. He was living and using his riches and his resources for himself, but not for God. So um, that's the parable that Jesus told. And oftentimes after Jesus tells a parable, uh, he just kind of lets it sit or moves on to something else. Um, and just lets the listener uh, be affected by the story and be challenged without uh, explaining it. Uh, but there are other times where, where Jesus tells um, a parable where he breaks it down further. And he explains to, to those um, that he's teaching what he meant by the parable. And this is one of those parables where Jesus goes on and, and explains uh, more of what he meant. He expands upon um, this story that he tells. So now the, the next verses aren't on the paper, but you can... 
Um, look at them on your phone, or if you have a, a paper Bible, you can do that as well. Um, in, in Luke 12, 22, I'm going to kind of be jumping around from here to the end of the chapter. But in Luke 12, uh, 22, Jesus said to his disciples, after telling this parable, this is what he says. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. And then if you read, you see that, that Jesus goes on and he brings up um, the ra ravens, these birds. And he talks about how uh, the ravens, they don't store up food for themselves in a barn, but they still eat. God still takes care of them. And he makes the point that, that you can't do anything by worrying. You can't even add one hour to your life. And then he talks about um, wildflowers. He brings up wildflowers, how the flowers, they grow without, without working, but they're still uh, so beautiful. And he, he tells the people that they're so much more important to God than the flowers. So if he provides for and he clothes the flowers in such beauty, of course he's going to provide for and take care of his people. That's right. He uses this imagery of, of the flowers and of the ravens to provoke the imagination and to help to make his point to the people of how much they are loved by God. And he goes on in verse 29, he says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And then he ends the passage uh, by saying, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief, thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He sums up the story by teaching the people to not be concerned with building up their own personal wealth, but, but to live by giving away what they have, by caring for the poor, by providing for those who have need. And that when they do that, they're going to be storing up blessings for themselves in heaven. Both the, the, the young man um, who spoke up and also uh, the character from the parable that Jesus told, they were concerned only with the here and now. They were concerned with building up their personal wealth on earth. That was, uh, that was where they wanted to invest their treasure, which shows us and reveals to us what was in their heart. They were both examples uh, to the disciples and to everyone that was there of how not to live. They were examples uh, of people living, being motivated by sin, by the sins of, of greed by the sins uh, of self-indulgence. And, and they were driven uh, by these values uh, that they found in their culture, that were a part of uh, the kingdom of this world, rather than values and, and principles that were defined by God and by God's kingdom. So by telling this parable, Jesus is trying to help his disciples and help those who are listening to the teaching, he's trying to help free them. He's trying to help set them free from this sin of greed, which causes us great worry, 
which causes us uh, great concern uh, with the material, with the here and now, with this world that can kind of hold us back, that, that can hold us back and cloud our judgment and, and prevent us from living out the life uh, that God desires for us, that is so much more full, that is so much more uh, abundant. And throughout this whole chapter, from the beginning of Luke all the way uh, to the end, uh, he, he introduces um, all the people he's teaching, and, and, and he introduces us to this tension between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. To live uh, according to the kingdom of God is to have faith in a God who was worth dying for. To have faith in a God who we know has the power to grant us salvation, to grant us uh, an eternity in heaven. And it, it is to live out our faith in the way that, that we interact with uh, material things in a way that reflects it, that reflects uh, that belief. Which, uh, as we do that, builds up blessings for ourselves in heaven. But uh, at the same time, uh, in, in addition to uh, building up these treasures that are for uh, ourselves in heaven, it's building up God's kingdom right now here on earth. And he makes that point by teaching us about the importance of giving to the poor, of caring for all those who are in need. That is how we build up God's kingdom right now. It's not just a future reality that we're waiting to get towards, but it's something that we actively participate with God in bringing about in the here and now. It's about coming alongside God, living out our faith, and participating in, in, in alleviating the human pain that exists in the world as a result of sin. And that is what these sins get us to. Pain. It was a countercultural lesson that Jesus was teaching, and, but, and, and within the culture that it was in. But if we think about today, if we think about right now, I think it's still very contemporary, very uh, applicable to us. Because we live in a culture that, that's so uh, heavily defined by these, uh, these sins of greed. And, and, and the, the sin and the idea uh, of consumerism, of, of, of materialism, we're, we're just dominated and flooded by messages of living for right now, living for here, acquiring as, as much as we can while we're on, on earth so we can live the good life, so we can put our feet up. That's what we're taught. That's what we're being raised up in, in a world uh, that teaches us those things, that our own desires, that that's what's most important. Even, uh, at, at, even with complete um, ignorance of the repercussions that those decisions may have for other people throughout the world. But I believe that, that this lesson and, and this story, it, it can help us. It can, it can be a, a motivation for us a, a, about a, a way to, to, help, to help us figure out how to live our lives in a way that reflects our faith, that, that, that comes alongside God and, and participates in building up his kingdom while here on earth. While the, the first century Jewish listeners, the, the disciples and, and the crowds that, that we read about, um, while they were there listening uh, to this teaching, hearing this great teaching, uh, they wouldn't have heard it uh, within its full context of God's plan uh, for redeeming the world. The plan that, that we have the benefit uh, of knowing and understanding and seeing uh, the whole big picture. 
And I'm sure that in the time that he told this story, it was, it was powerful and it was helpful and it meant something um, to people. And I'm definitely sure that, that once Jesus was killed, his disciples probably remembered this teaching and reflected on it and understood what he meant by it and why he, he kept harping on it so much. But we have the benefit of knowing what happened. We know what happened just a few months after Jesus gave all these people this teaching. We know that Jesus was crucified. We know that after he was killed, he, he resurrected from the dead and then he ascended into heaven. And with that knowledge in mind, this story should even so much, with so much more uh, power, it should challenge us, it should inspire us to begin to, to change and shift uh, the way that we're living to better reflect uh, the faith that we have in God, to put God above ourselves. So my question is, what does this story mean for you? And it's a question I'm asking myself as well. What does it mean for the way that you manage your resources, the way that you manage your money, the way that you manage your time? Are you taking care of, uh, of what God has given you in a way that, that places his will and his kingdom uh, above yourself? And what does this story mean for us? What does this story mean for us as a church, as everyday Christian church? Are we uh, functioning as a church uh, that radically lives out our faith in a way that loves our neighbor and that prioritizes uh, their needs above our own stability and security? Because as a, a church and as the church, that is what we are called to do. That is who we are called to be. We are called to be a community that is a physical representation of God's kingdom in heaven right now here on earth. The way that we operate, the way that we function, and the way that we manage our, our resources, and the way that we treat one another and live um, in community with each other, the way that we interact with and demonstrate the love that we have for our neighbor, that is our testimony to the world of the faith that we have, of the great love that God has for each and every one of us and the love that God has for all of his people. I'm excited about the next series that we're going to get into. Um, it's going to be a little over a month away. Um, but in that next series, we're going we're to dive deeper into um, some of these questions uh, where we're really going to uh, wrestle with how we manage our resources, how we manage and steward uh, the things that God has, has, has trusted us with. Uh, but for right now, I, I just want us to be challenged. I, I want us to listen and to hear uh, Jesus' parables and, and to consider the sins that his parables um, are addressing and, and to reflect upon how they may relate to us today. What is he trying to communicate to each and every one of us? And what might the application be for our lives? I'm not going to uh, go deep into the application today. Because what I, what I want us to do is I want us to invite the Holy Spirit to, to come um, into this room right now, to come into each and every one of our hearts, and, and, and that it would help us to open ourselves up. 
to open up our spirits, to open up our minds, and, and to hear what it is that he may want to communicate to us 2,000 years later after he first told this story. His word is living and active. It's still alive. It's still convicting. It's still relevant, just as much now as it ever has been. So I'm going to, to tell the story. I'm going to read through the story one last time. And I just want you to really, really listen and ask God what it is that he's trying to teach you through it. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for you individually? What does it mean for us as a church? And what does it mean to, to us in light of the gospel? The gospel is the good news that while we were still sinful people separated from God because of our sin, out of the love that God had for us, he came to the earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And he lived among us. And he faced the same temptations that we go through. And while he faced those temptations, he lived a perfect and sinless life. And at the end of that life, he was crucified on a cross. He was tortured. And he was killed as a human sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. He endured the death that all of us deserved. He died in our place so that we may be forgiven. And after he died, he overcame that death. He resurrected three days later and then ascended into heaven. Through faith in Christ's death and resurrection, we are all now forgiven for our sins. And we receive the gift of eternal life with God. We are reconciled back to God through Christ.